Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. Perspective. He said in Ephesians chapter 4, there is one faith, one Lord, one baptism. But the writer to the Hebrews, some people think Paul wrote it. This is another reason why I don't think Paul wrote the book to the Hebrews. Uh, from, from another perspective, the, in Hebrews it says instructions and baptisms. Paul looked at it as one, you know, two parts of one whole. You go down in the water like Jesus did and come up and the Spirit lit upon him. So there was water baptism and spirit baptism, two sides to the one whole. Whereas in the book of Hebrews, they really break it down, instructions and baptisms. And so we're going to do the first portion of that this morning. Water baptism. We've got several people that are going to be baptized. We're going to do that at the end of the service. But I want to continue on in our, our teaching this morning on the church. We've been looking at the church from different perspectives. Jesus and Matthew, uh, I want to say it's Matthew 16, says uh, he, was, he was asking the disciples who that the rumor mill said he was. And uh, they said, oh, some say you're Elijah, some say John the Baptist. And he said, hey... Doesn't matter what other people say, what matters is who do you say that I am? And Peter, being the big mouth, he's the one that spoke up and he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, You got an A. You didn't figure this one out on your own. It was shown you by the Father. There was revelation from heaven that showed you who he is. The fact is, if you know who Jesus is, if you have believed, if you have entered into saving faith, it took revelation from God to get you there. You didn't, you didn't get there on your own. That it takes a gift of faith. For us to see who Jesus is. And so when Peter got the right answer to who Jesus was, Peter in, Jesus in essence says, now Peter, let me tell you who, I, who you are. He says, you are Peter the little rock, and on this big rock, I will build my church. And he began to talk about the, the, uh, the effect this church would have. But the word he used that we translate church is really, the, the word church is not a good translation. It's an unfortunate translation uh, propagated by the King James Version. And many scholars believe that King James had a vested interest in reinterpreting what church was because the form of government that King James desired would not be supported by this word that was translated church. Before that, the English translations translated it, the assembly. It's really the assembling of people. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 19, where there was the rioting, there was they, the, the, the prefect of that city of, of Philippi got up and said, hey, we're in danger of having an illegal assembly. And it was the same word. The word was ecclesia. It was an illegal, he's saying, we're, we're illegally gathering together and starting a riot. The idea behind that word is very significant. The ecclesia, or the, what we call the church, was a governmental body of citizens called out from among the people to hear the heart of the emperor and then to legislate and incorporate his desires throughout the, the kingdom, to expand the kingdom. And so when we begin to understand the backdrop of that word, we can more readily understand the purpose of the church. We are not simply to sit around and learn things. We're to do things. We are to extend the kingdom. 
Matter of fact, Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia. It's our job to extend the basilia or the kingdom. And so the primary message of Jesus was the kingdom of God, not the church. The primary message today in the in modern America, is the church and not the kingdom. Now, there has been a great emphasis on the kingdom within the last five years. And we're going to see more of that. It's God restoring the centrality of the kingdom to his church. The danger is that we begin to emphasize the basilia, or the word that we translate kingdom. The danger is we begin to emphasize the kingdom so much that we begin to neglect the church. And you see a lot of people talking this kind of talk. Well, I've got a personal relationship with Jesus. I have church at home. You know, I, I, don't, I don't go to church. Well, I understand. You know, the church is not a building. The church is the gathering of believers. But essentially what they're saying is, I don't get in fellowship with believers. It's me and Jesus at home. Or I have church with my family. Well, that's fine if there's multiple generations and you're availing yourself to gifts outside that small nucleus of people. That's fine. It's called a home church. But you better be exposing yourself to the wider leadership that God has given in the body of Christ or you will stunt the growth of everybody within that fellowship. And I want to I continue to hammer on this this morning because I believe the Lord is calling us higher. And so the fact is, we, we talk about our personal relationship with Jesus, and that's wonderful. And water baptism has to do with that. When we go in the watery grave of water baptism, we are going in as a sinful individual. Not that we're not saved yet, but we're, we're symbolizing it's a prophetic act where we're stepping in as the old man. We're going to go in the water, and according to Romans chapter 6, we are buried with Jesus through baptism. So we're leaving the old man under the grave. Many of you remember Miss Sandra. Sandra and Quimby. Quimby was one of our pastors. He retired a little over a year ago and they moved to Missouri to live with one of their kids. But Miss Sandra, she, she is a fascinating woman. I met Sandra in 1988 as a young Christian. I'd never been around someone that was prophetic like her. I was up in my room. I'd met her for two minutes the day before. I was up in my room crying out to God in deep discouragement. And I came downstairs at Teen Challenge where I was working. And there was Miss Sandra across the room. She was just visiting. And she looked at me and she said, Oh, your heart is heavy today. And I was like, Whew. You know? <laughs> what was my slip showing? And I was, it just, man, it was unnerving. And that, that, that started a relationship where her and her husband mentored me for many years. And I, I've seen that lady. It, it was amazing. She would, I, I saw her go up to these broken young men. And she would just call out things that happened in their childhood. She'd say, what is this scene I just saw? The Lord just showed me of you as a 14-year-old boy in a, in a locker room. And a man in a red jacket came up behind you. And the guy would break. And he began to share about some abuse he'd suffered again and again. But where that started with Miss Sandra was she got radically saved and went through a season of deep repentance. And one day she was praying and the Lord gave her a vision of her carrying this dead body around, and the Lord said, Arise and be baptized. Romans chapter 7, it talks about what I don't want to do, I do. What I do want to do, I don't do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? 
Paul is alluding to a very strange custom among the Romans, and it wasn't just the Romans that did this, but one of the ways that they would punish by a capital crime is if you had murdered someone, at times they would sentence you to be bound to the body of your dead victim. And literally they would bind you to this dead body until its rotting corpse would begin to cause you to be sick and you would die from it. And Paul is playing off of this thing and saying, who will deliver me from this body of death? Water baptism is a way in which we symbolically, we say, we're going to leave this old man behind. I'm going to put him in the watery grave and I'm going to come up in newness of life. That has to do with our personal relationship with God. We go in the water as an individual, but spirit baptism has to do with us being baptized into the body of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. So we go in as an individual, we come in up as a member in a body. We go in as a selfish person having lived for us. We were the center of our own world. We were the star of our own story. All our daydreams were us as the hero. And then we come out of the water and now we live for one another. That is the idea behind this one baptism. And the way that happens is that according to Romans chapter 5, it's by the Spirit He sheds the love of God abroad in our heart. And so the baptism in the Spirit is also a baptism in love. That we're impacted by the love of God. That's why you see this language by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 where he talks about the spirit of adoption or the spirit of sonship. And it's by the spirit we're caused to say, Abba, Father, or Daddy, God. What is he saying? He's saying when we, the Holy Spirit, one of the primary functions of the Spirit of God in relationship with us is to reveal to us the heart of the Father, to baptize us in the love of God so that we cry out, Daddy, I finally found my family. I found my father. But that love of God has progression to it. The first phase is the love of God with me as the object of his affection. The second phase, and and John, John the Beloved, the one that had the greatest revelation of all the apostles, he was called the apostle of love. He was the one that wrote the most about the love of God. John, the beloved, tells us that we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. In other words, the, 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 uh, the, the manner, the, 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 the mechanism by which God unleashes love for himself in us is by releasing his love for us on us. When God, when God reveals to us how much he loves us, there's something that is uncorked on the inside and this reciprocal affection bubbles up within us. We can't help ourselves but love him back. I'm going to tell you, this, this whole thing about the love of God is the secret to holiness. You want to live holy? Jesus said... If you love me, you will obey my commandments. In other words, don't tell me how much you love me if you're living in disobedience. Man, as a young Christian, I'd I'd read that, oh man, I'd start white knuckling and trying to live holy. But I was trying to earn his love rather than living from his love. And so I realized that if I love him, then I'm going to obey. So I'm trying to be obedient. And then I saw, oh, the secret is I've got to, 
I've got to know his love for me and then I'll love him. And so I tried to work up a revelation of his love. But Paul taught us to pray in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through the end of the chapter, that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would have a revelation of the magnitude of his love for us. And he says this, he says, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That is a weird phrase. I want you to know something beyond knowing. In the Greek, it's, it's much more clear. He said, I want you to have an experiential encounter with something that you can't study yourself into. That is the, that is the uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit is the experiential agent of the Godhead in this dispensation, in this, this season of human history, in this of God's economy. Jesus walked the earth as the experiential agent. They could go up, they could touch him, they could speak to him. They get in a storm, they'd wake him up. Hey, calm the storm. And then Jesus tells them, hey guys, it's better that I'm going to leave you. And they're thinking, how is it going to be better? You were in our boat during the storm. And he's saying, hey, what's better is I'm going to be inside of you even when you don't have a boat. I'm going to live inside of you. I'm going to send another like unto myself and he will live inside of you. And so... He, he, there, was a, there was a transition where the Father sent the Son, the Son established the purpose, ascended to the Father, and then He said, I will send the Spirit. And so there was the Father sent the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, and He sends us into the world to send other people back to this Father. It's the circle of life. Let's everybody sing it. The circle. But it's a beautiful thing. And so the Spirit comes to live with inside of us to reveal to us the love of the Father. And when we see His love for us, that's why that prayer of Paul's is so crucial. We need to, every one of us, pray, God, help me to comprehend in a greater measure, an ever-increasing way, Your love, Your affection for me. Because when I see His holy affection for me, I can't help it. He has pre-wired me in such a way that I respond to love with love. His love conquers me and it binds me to his heart and I can't help but love him back. And then I'll obey him. It's a natural thing because out of love, what I once did out of fear of punishment, I now do out of holy affection. I don't want to hurt his heart. And all of that is the work of the Holy Spirit who works holiness in us by also being the spirit of sonship or adoption. He stamps within our heart that that belonging to the family and that we have a father, a God who's not angry with us and holding our sin against us, but one that poured out his wrath on his son so he could bring us in and then puts this spirit of adoption within us. So the first phase of the love of God, and by the way, you can these three phases... I would challenge you, I would encourage you to begin to read your Bible through these three lenses. And anytime you see the love of God or love from God, look at it and, 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 and begin to look at it first from the first perspective, then the second perspective, and then the third perspective. And every one of them will be valid in every passage. So the love of God is first from God with me as the, 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 the uh, object of his affection. Stage two is 
in me, from me, with God as the object of my affection. It's the love of God, God loving me. But then it's the love of God, me loving Him. And it's this, this mutual affection that drives us deeper in Him, in the pursuit and a hunger for more of Him. But the third stage, love maturing. And if it doesn't reach this stage, we get into this selfish consumer mentality where it's just me and Jesus and I'm not concerned for anybody else. The third stage is the love of God, God's love in and through me. I become no longer the object of the affection. I am the vehicle by which God loves others. I am the vehicle of his affection for others. And God and I partner in this thing. We are in partnership, the Holy Spirit and I, in loving other people. And that's where love matures. That's where we're to get. We're to, we're to walk in love. And that is the thing that binds the church together and makes us family. Rather than just people who sit by each other on a Sunday morning and happen to attend the same church. It's that holy affection. And we need to pray for that. That there's this holy affection. That when we run into each other at Walmart, there's something that rises within us. And we're so glad to see one another. Because it's family. There's a reason that the New Testament uses these, these metaphors, these pictures, these facets, these different perspectives on the, on the church. It's the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. This grand love affair between God and man. That Jesus pursued His wayward bride. That we were an adulterous bride, but He chased us down. And, and He said, I forgive you, and I'm taking you back, and I'm, I'm going to wed you, I'm going to wash your sin, I'm going to cover you. Just It's that beautiful picture like Joseph did with Mary. Although Mary wasn't immoral, it appeared as though she was. And Joseph was willing to lay down his reputation and cover her. It, it, he would either look immoral, like he... Got his girlfriend pregnant? Or, like, you are a sucker, buddy. You believe that line she gave you? Like, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Oh, yeah. Went to a prayer meeting? Sure, Joe. You're an idiot. But he didn't care. He's going to lay down his, his life because of his love for the bride. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus covering us. This holy affection. We're the body of Christ. We are His members. The only way what goes on in the head is expressed on the earth is through His body. The many-membered body. But we all need each other. There is no such thing as a single-membered body. I can't sit at home and say, I'm having church. Uh-uh. I may have a quiet time. Jesus and I can have some great fellowship, but I cannot have church alone. It's going to take at least one other believer and only then can we have church and where two or three are gathering in his name. There he is to in greater measure than his omnipresence that we think about theologically. He's everywhere present. Well, I'm telling you, he's a little more present when two or three are gathered for the purpose of being there in his name. That's called the ecclesia, the church. And so we are, we are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are the army of God. There's all these pictures, these perspectives, these facets of this beautiful thing that God has created. But it's, it, they all have to do with not... These, these are not about our personal relationship with Jesus, and that's good. And we love to talk about that as Americans, our rugged individualism. But I want to tell you, 
the Apostle Paul spent a lot more time talking about our corporate relationship than he did about our personal relationship. And we might want to take a cue from Paul and realize, oh, maybe there's some things we're missing out on. Maybe our focus on just me and Jesus is keeping me from realizing it's we and Jesus. And that there's more when we break into this thing together. Two verses. Ephesians chapter 1. The last verse of the chapter. He talks about everything has been put under Christ's feet for the church, comma, his body, comma, the fullness of him. Only the body get, gives us access to the fullness. This is reflected again in Ephesians chapter 4. He said, we've each been given a measure of the gift of Christ. You have a piece, I have a piece, I have a perspective, you have a perspective. I have a picture, you have a picture, but I only have one piece of the puzzle. And God gives us this grand picture of Jesus, and I might just have the eyeball. And I can sit around and say, man, Jesus is an eyeball. This is awesome. Jesus is an eyeball. Well, I got my revelation, but Jesus is more than an eyeball. I got to bring my piece of the puzzle to your piece of the puzzle. And I realize, oh, Jesus is an eyeball and an ear. This is amazing. Jesus is an eyeball and an ear. And we, as we bring those perspectives together, we get the fullness of Christ. And he says that in Ephesians chapter 4. So, in light of that, tell you what, real quick, turn with me to Ephesians, or, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just very quick, I want to just show you one scripture, two scriptures here. And then I want to get into Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And just look at a few things, and then we're going to baptize five people this morning. All right, Ephesians, I mean, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is Paul's teaching on the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians, but on spiritual gifts in, the, in, in 1 Corinthians. Paul was the apostle that had the revelation of the body of Christ. You don't hear other apostles, you don't hear other epistles, other teaching in the scriptures talking about the body of Christ. Why? Because they all had their perspective. They had their piece. Paul was the one that God revealed this, this uh, metaphor to, this thing of the body of Christ. And whenever Paul is talking about the body, he's always also talking about spiritual gifts. And whenever he's talking about spiritual gifts, he's talking about the body. Because it is your gift that determines your membership in the body. It, it's your gift, it's the, the way you, your function and your connection determines your membership. I have, my body has many members. I've got fingers, I've got toes, I've got, you know, I've got ears, I've got a nose, i got, that rhymes. But I've got all those things, and all of those things, they, they have both a connection, relationship, and a function. They have a job to do. And you, you and I are... are connection and our, our uh, function are essential for us to grow up as individuals and corporately. Because what God is after for the body of Christ is more than nursery expansion. He, he isn't desiring to grow a bigger daycare. When we talk about church growth, it's not, a hey, bigger daycare, well, we're adding on. Boy, last year we had... 43 two-year-olds, and next year we're going to have 82 two-year-olds. What about three-year-olds? Well, we're, yeah, not yet. And we just keep expanding the nursery. He's wanting us to grow up, but I'm telling you, Paul is very clear. We cannot grow up as individuals unless we grow up together. 
There are things you will be stunted in your growth unless you grow up together. Matter of fact, I, let me meddle a little bit, okay? I would dare say that the same is true of families that, okay, I, I, had, I, I had a beef when a number of years ago there was a certain person that began to talk about it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, okay, you know, my, my, my politics got in, got in the way. But there, there is some truth to that. And families that are closed and not willing to have input in relationships become dysfunctional and inbred. And they may be very wonderful, godly people. But if they're not allowing relationships to come from the outside, then their uniqueness becomes a weakness. Their, uh, their limited perspective creates a weird view of life. And that's why we need to be connected to the overall body of Christ. That's why when people talk about a house church, that's fine. Just avail yourself to things outside the church, your house church, leadership, because God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers until we all grow up into him who is the head, and we ain't there yet. So those are all active right now, and they are given to grow the body up. And so if you have just, yeah, 15 people in your house, you're not having all those gifts infused into the, the body of Christ. And so you have your limited perspective. And have more than your family. Because your family has a certain way of doing things, and some of it's good. And I know I'm supposed to be a good news preacher, but there's some bad news. Not all of it's good. You know, Every family has their things they need to work out. And so we need that, out, that external perspective. So, I'm done meddling. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 7. Or no, not verse 7. Verse 4. 4, 5, and 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. And verse 6. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all of men. Three verses. He talks about gifts three times, but they're different types of gifts. And I would propose to you that Paul is breaking down the three categories of spiritual gifts found in the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul is the author of each, each of these three passages. That one of them is this one, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And one of them is going to be the one we're going to, Ephesians chapter 4. The other one is Romans 12. And so he starts with this one. He said, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. The Holy Spirit has gifts he gives to the church. And they are the manifestation gifts found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14. They are classically known as the Pentecostal gifts or the charismatic gifts because that is the stream of the body of Christ that really embraces his, his, his uh, function in the, in the church. And they are known as the, you know, they're, they're more known as supernatural gifts. But the fact is they're all supernatural. But these are the overt charismatic gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. Now in verse 5, he's alluding to what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 4. There are different kinds of working or administrations, some, some translations call it, but this, uh, uh, different kinds of service rather, but the same Lord. So Jesus 
in Ephesians chapter 4 is very clearly the giver of the gifts. It says he, Jesus, was the one who gave. Son to be apostles, son to be prophets, son to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So the Holy Spirit gives us the nine charismatic gifts, tongues, interpretation that we saw this morning, prophecy, healing, you know, discerning of spirits, uh, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and so forth. Jesus gives the five authority gifts. So what the Spirit gives us power to do with him what we can't do without him, supernaturally, to minister to others. Jesus gives authority gifts. They are leadership gifts. And these gifts are people. They're people upon whom this grace rests. So when Paul breaks it down in Ephesians chapter 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, he says he was, it was he who gave some to be these he gave gifts and the gifts were men. It says he gave gifts to men. He gave some to be. The gifts were men. And so he gave these people and they were people. And you look, the previous chapter in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul begins, he says, For this reason I pray, I kneel before the Father. And then he stops and he gets on a rabbit trail. Surely you guys have heard of the grace that is on me to be an apostle. See, he's saying that there's something that came on me called grace that made me an apostle of Jesus Christ so that I could be the man who launched, lays foundations and launches this thing. And so Paul was one of those gifts given to the church. And then he says in verse 6, there are different kinds of working. The NAS translates that word. I like it better. He says there are different kinds of effects. I like that. But the same God who works all of them and all of men. That's Romans 12 gifts. So you got the Spirit, the Son, and the Father all give a different category of gifting to the body of Christ. And though that mixture of gifts that we operate in, that we avail ourselves to, that we sit under, that we fellowship with, will shape us and grow us up into Him who is the head. Okay? So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And in our circles, there's a, lot there, you know, there's a lot of talk about the five-fold ministry. But I want to look at the purpose of the five-fold ministry. Why, why does God give apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? So look at verse 9 of Ephesians chapter 4. When he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended, higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. Verse 11. It was he who gave... Some to be, okay, jump up to verse 8, see where it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. And then it says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, we've talked about this before. For those of you who have never heard it, it was a common Roman custom and military custom that Roman generals would go out and conquer. They would bring back captives and they would give... Uh, Highly skilled and educated individuals as gifts to families to serve families. And Paul is playing off of this custom saying that King Jesus came and conquered. And he came and the, those he conquered, some of them, he puts grace on them to serve the body of Christ as trainers. And some he called apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors and teachers. He gave them to the body of Christ for that purpose. And so it says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Verse 12, why? To prepare God's people for works of service. So that the body of Christ might be built up. So he says the reason he gave these gifts 
was to prepare or equip the saints for the work of ministry, as all the King James Version says it. The problem with the King James Version is there's what theologians call the dreaded comma. They insert a comma, which makes it look as if those five individuals have three tasks. Equip the saints for ministry, one. They're also responsible to do the work of ministry, two. And the three is to uh, edify the church and grow it up, three. That's not what the Greek says. That dreaded comma needs to be pulled out of there. It's one sense. The, The purpose is... To equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. When? Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. With the end zone being this. Become mature. A mature body. Corporate maturity. You can't fully mature alone. You will be stunted. Just like a kid that is only exposed to his own family system. I don't care how good that family is. There's going to be a limited perspective and in some weird way he's going to be inbred and not understand how the real world works until he gets exposed to the rest of the world. We become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I want you to think of that. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you realize that God has a dream in his heart that he dreamt before an eternity passed before he ever created this world? And he wanted to see a full expression of his son. So he created an earth and he created a man and a woman and they were, to, they were to multiply and take dominion and they were to march across the earth and express the fullness of his son. The father loves the son and wants to see a full expression. There is a, there is a unique expression of Jesus that God wants to bring through Heartland. You know that? And there's a unique expression of Jesus that God wants to bring through First Family Church on the other side of town. A great church. And through Hope Lutheran, Ankeny, down the street from us. A unique expression. A great church. And we cheer them on. But we also need to understand that as this unique fellowship assembly of believers, there is something unique that we carry that this region needs. But we only touch it together. And so we've got to walk together. And so God gives these to equip his people for works of service. Now catch that. Works of service. It doesn't say that he gives them so they can teach sermons and we can learn and become smarter about theology. It's not saying that we're just to learn more about God. I mean, that's good, but that's not the end. That's the means to the end. You've got to know in order to grow. You're never going to go places where you... God will give you an experience and then explain it to you or explain something to you and then give you the experience. But the tree of life is what we're to eat from. It's not just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Some dry theory. Knowledge puffeth up, Scripture says. That's why it says, Peter said, add to your faith virtue or character and to character knowledge. So we're to have these, we're to do things, we're to grow, we're to learn how to be the body of Christ. Okay? Now, let's read on here. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go to, 
Okay, until we all reach unity in the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attain to the whole measure of the gift of fullness of Christ. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants. And then he's going to define what that looks like within the body. What, what is an infant in the, in the scripture? Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He talks about infant Christians, adolescent Christians, and adult Christians. Infant Christians, he said, you're carnal or you're fleshly. You're like mere infants. When I first got saved, the lady, gave, the lady that led me to the Lord gave me money for a Bible and I went out and bought a keg for it. Keg with it, rather. I felt guilty, but that's what I did with it. I was so immature and carnal that I took money for a Bible and bought a keg. The only difference was I couldn't enjoy the keg, whereas before I would have enjoyed it. Now I met Jesus, now I don't enjoy my keg anymore. But there was something that happened on the inside of me. But if I kept for the next 10 years spending my Bible money on kegs, I don't need to be discipled, I need to be saved. Because infancy is not a permanent category of Christianity. It is a phase. And if you have a child that doesn't grow beyond the infant size after five years, you're going to take it to the doctor, well, hopefully before then, and say, hey, there's something wrong with my child. Infancy is carnality, and then we get into adolescence where we think we know everything. You ever met one of them? You ever been one of them? Yes, you have. So have I. And then we become mature, and Paul says, they who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. In other words, now we bend our neck. We're yielded to what God wants for us. We're not wrestling with these fleshly things like spending our Bible money on a keg. And we're not arrogant and led by our emotions like an adolescent and think we know everything and mood swings. We come under the lordship of Jesus. That little seed of God that was in us that was just trying to make itself known when I bought the cake. No, don't do it. No. And my flesh was bigger. I'm going to get it. No, no. And it's being dragged. No, no. Then as I walk with Jesus for a while, my spirit gets bigger. Knock it off. Oh, there's this battle, you know, and now my flesh, no, no, yes, you know, beat him around. We grow up into him who is the head. There's, there is a, a measure of this that happens corporately as well. You've got to be tied in with the body or you'll have a limited perspective and never mature. So let's read this again. Then we will no longer be infants. And then he defines what this looks like within the body of Christ. Tossed back and forth by the waves. Blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. I would love to camp out there. I've got, my heart is full, but I would need another hour and a half to express this little verse. So we're going to gloss over it and we'll come back around sometime and do a series on it or something. Verse 15. Instead, so the, okay, when we avail ourselves to, the, to these gifts within the body of Christ, we recognize that God put gifts within all of us in, in Romans chapter 12. In salvation, Jesus gives us these leadership or authority gifts within the church and we come under them and we recognize the grace on their lives. It's not that they're perfect. It's not that they're worshipped. It's, it's not that they're never questioned. There's a two-way street, but we do honor 
the anointing that's on their life. We honor that authority and we come under that authority and the spirit comes on us and we have power from, the, from God and we operate that power under authority and in that way the body of Christ grows up. It's a beautiful thing. And so he says, we're no longer infants tossed back and forth by every wind of teaching and the waves you know, and, and, and then there's cunning and crafty men trying to manipulate us. We become stabilized. We're not subject to environmental conditions anymore. Instead, so now he's going to tell us about the godly alternative. What really happens when we're walking with Jesus. Instead, speaking the truth in love. We will grow up. We will in all things. In every area. Not just some areas. We don't mature in some areas and stay small in others. Our body doesn't grow, but we have little bitty arms. You know, we, we grow up into him who is the head in all things. That is Christ. Now, just as a side note, to see this verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, comma. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, comma. It very well may be, and I'm not so sure. And you can read it both ways, and you can find scriptures that will back up both. I think the comma belongs behind truth. And different translations will have different interpretations of that. Instead, speaking the truth, in love, we will on all things grow up into him. We will grow into become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And so it's that love, the baptism of the spirit, baptism into the body, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says... That we come up and we're now part of the body and that we're fused together in love. And we speak the truth with one another. Here's the catch. In your wonderful journey with Jesus, when you got saved and it was like a Disney movie, all of a sudden there's music, everything's color, and there's little butterflies and birds, little flowers everywhere. It's like, oh, this is glorious. That doesn't last. Okay? For a moment, you touch the sweet by and by. And one day you wake up in the nasty now and now. And you have to work through relationships. And it's not just relationships at work with some underbeliever. It's relationships within the local church. And if you don't pass those tests... You sentence yourself to immaturity. Now, God in his love, what he'll do, if you get honked off at someone at this church, well, I'm not going to put up with that. You go to the second Baptist church down the street, believe me, there'll be another one there. And God will make sure that you sit next to them. Because he is after something in you. God's brilliant. Okay? I, I, I found that God, I, I, love, I love to be around gifted people. You know, teachers and, you know, prophetic gifts and healing gifts. I love to be around all those gifts. And I found that God will use them in my life. But I've also discovered something I don't like. That God will also use their character flaws in me. While God is working it out of them, he said, I'm going to be real practical. Well, it's still there and I'm working it out. I'm going to use it on Dave. And we stumble over those kind of things. And here's the thing. When we stumble over the weakness in some, someone, we forfeit the grace that they carry. And every member of the body has it. And a level of maturity is when we can begin to appreciate what people are without stumbling over what they aren't. When we can get into that, 
when we can begin to understand and, and really appreciate what one another carries and, and work through, through brave communication, speaking the truth, do it in love. No matter where you put the comma, you still got to be in love, okay? Speaking the truth in love, only then do we grow up into him who is the head. Because I'm going to tell you, conflict is one of the primary discipleship mechanisms God uses in your life. Smooth sailing in relationships will very rarely challenge your character. But it's when there's disagreements, when there's, there's friction... Those things begin to challenge us. Will I stay and will I fight for this thing so I can grow up into him who is the head? And it's that thing that pulls us together. So that's where Paul's going with this very next verse. Listen to what he says, and then we got to wind it down. Christopher, could you go ahead and, like Jesus told the disciples, go and do as I told you. <laughs> Look at verse 16. From him... The whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. Look at that. From Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I got news for you. Jesus does not grow his body. The Father does not grow the body. The body grows itself. We, together, are responsible to grow up together. And if we don't engage and grow together, we won't grow together. We'll just be an ever-expanding nursery. We grow up together as, and here's the catch, how does that happen? As each part does its work. Do you have a job? Have you found your holy occupation yet? Have you discovered what gifts reside in you? And more than that, are you using them to minister to other people? Are you functioning in your gift? Because it's not just your connection. Oh, I have a lot of relationships, but do you have a function? Or are you just an arm that hangs there? It doesn't work. And medically speaking, that's called a dead arm. It may be there, but it's not functioning. It needs healing. So that the life will flow and the nerves will work and it will function the way it was intended. And it's as each one of us do our job that we grow up into him who is the head. I have a hunch. Now, I don't know where to fit this theologically, okay? We experienced this flood. We experienced a tornado. Terry, where are you at? I saw you this morning. I didn't get sick. Did you lose your roof? Yeah, lost the roof on her house. We need to come around Terry and see how, what we can do to help Terry. Then we had this VBS. Man, that thing was a heavy lift, but it was awesome. And you know what? There was a camaraderie in the trenches that people were fellowshipping together. Why? We were growing as a body on accident. <laughs> because we were doing our work together and all of a sudden, people are discovering and validating one another. And we're growing into him who is the head. It's a beautiful thing. As the, each, as the ligaments hold it together. Let me close with this. That word ligament, it's an interesting word in the Greek. I don't have time. It's like a compound word of three different words put together. It's a fascinating word. 
But he says as, the, as each ligament does its part. You know what ligaments are? You know, the, the body, you have a, a skeletal structure that is unyielding, and rightly so. You don't want your bones to bend. That'd be weird. You know, walking. You've got to have some, some structure. But then you've got muscles that, that provide the tension that pull these bones in different directions at the joints. And you've got cartilage that give cushion between the bones. But it would all just kind of fall apart. You just kind of... You know those little, you ever seen those little statues and you push the button and they just fall and also you look and it gets tension? That's your ligaments. Your ligaments pull bone to bone and they keep this tension. And the cartilage gives the cushion, but it's the, the ligaments that are pulling it tight. And here's the thing the ligaments are the shock absorbers along with the cartilage. The ligaments can move and, be, and, and absorb tension. They can, be, they can stretch, and then they'll come back into place. And that's what keeps the body together. And you and I need ligaments between us that create attention. They pull us together, but they can absorb stress and keep us connected. But a ligament can be damaged if you allow the stress to take place too long. If you allow it to remain too long then there's ligament damage and the body can't function. It's the same word Paul uses earlier in this passage when he says this. Keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond or the ligament of peace. What holds us together? Dealing with conflict. The ligaments hold us together. And the ligaments can be stretched. But if we let that, if we don't resolve things, if we don't deal with things, we can injure those ligaments. We can injure the body and the body doesn't function. So part of our assignment as believers, my finger, when we were in the, uh, the dunk tank, I don't know if I had bruised my tailbone or I broke it, but I could hardly get in bed that night. You know, it's like, and you know what? My whole body's compensating. You know, it's like, oh, it's all helping me along here because my, my pinky cares, man. I'm telling you, it, 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 uh, it was, I was sore because I'm old. And so my body is looking out for itself. Years ago, I broke my arm. I'm left hand, I'm right-handed. My left hand, I learned to write and draw with my left hand. My right arm emaciated away and my, my left arm got stronger. Why? Because the other members of my body stepped up to compensate until it was whole. That's the body at work. Keep, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the ligaments of peace. Why? Because there's more on the line than my petty feelings. Well, they, they offended me. It doesn't matter. What matters is, am I going to give up this region having an expression of the fullness of this glorious man, Jesus, because I got my feelings hurt? Or am I going to lay them down and say, I, I'm hungry to partner with God because there's thing he lives in me. And I long for this city to see who he really is through us. They need a living, breathing example. And it's not going to come through one person. The fullness comes through a group of people who love one another. Amen? All right. We're going to baptize some people. Um, I don't know if they're out there, but they should be coming. Les, you want to see if they're out there? Bring them in here. We're going to baptize some people this morning, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to rejoice with them. This baptism was intentionally instituted as a public ceremony. It is a, a, uh, a public thing that we do together together.
and that we witness together, it's a celebration that we're leaving that old man behind and we're stepping into newness of life. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.